bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. I got with me my co-host Chuck. Chuck, always good to have you there, man. Always a pleasure to be here, Neil. You bring a force of levity to all content that has gravity on this what? program. See, and talk. listen, you, you, uh, even when you talk uh, comedy, you still do it in science terms. That's, okay. uh, <laughs> it's still, I mean, the terms are still astrophysical when you're talking about... Well, the, I think the universe is hilarious, so that's why. Okay. So today's topic are, are science pioneers. Ooh. Science pioneers. Always good. As often as we should. Always, always a good, good topic. Because all kinds of scientists out there that, uh, you know, might not have made headlines, right. but... They're there and they're getting the job done. Let me ask you, you this know. as a scientist. Yeah. Do yes. you think that it's better to be on the cutting edge and risk being ahead of your time or to be um, in the sweet spot and perhaps either prove or make the big discovery? Just I both. <laughs> why, why, does, why you got to make everything binary, Chuck? We live in a spectrum world. Well, anyway, we got, we've got a, a guest today who has some expertise in finding scientists who are pioneers and are worth talking about. And we've got Danny Washington. Danny, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you very much. Hey, what's up? It's so good to be here. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, you reminded me, we had met several years ago. You had attended a live um, recording of Star Talk at the American Museum of Natural History under the sphere of the Hayden Planetarium. Sure so it's did. great to have you sort of back in the fold. Yeah, totally full circle. You, you've been busy the last few years. And first, you've got a podcast called the Genius Generation Podcast. Mm. And I'm guessing it's not my generation who messed up the earth. <laughs> <That was> <laughs> Uh, well, no, not quite. It's definitely not your generation, and it's not even my generation. Oh, okay. Well, thank God um, it's not your generation. Yeah. That's all that counts. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this, uh, this podcast is awesome because it focuses on young people under the age of 18 who have either found a, a recent discovery or created new businesses that are changing the game in different realms of STEM. And wow. I had so much fun interviewing these young people. They're brilliant. And it made me realize, like, what am I doing with my life? These kids are, like, 12 years old, <laughs> yeah. making, you know, incredible discoveries. And you're like, what? <laughs> don't don't yeah, worry, Dan D Danny, don't worry. They're just peaking early. 
Okay. Oh, that's, okay. <laughs> they're gonna burn out yeah, later. Is that what you're saying? By the time they're 26, they'll be washed up. <laughs> I'm joking. No, joking. So, so Danny, you're you're an ocean person, and I don't think we have enough of such people in this world. The ocean is, you know, most of Earth's surface, yes. and so much we don't know. And frankly, you know, space kind of siphons off a lot of what uh, could be attention, also given to Earth's surface. Uh, to, by surface, I mean including the oceans, you know, Earth, the planet. And so uh, you're founder of an ocean conservation organization. Who gets to say that, okay? <laughs> yes, you are accomplishing things, Danny. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop using 12-year-olds as I a know. metric for whether you've succeeded. So it's called Big Blue and You. So t- tell us about that. Well, you know, I, I received my Bachelor of Science degree in marine biology back in 08 at the University of Miami. And that was my dream all throughout high school was to study marine science. And then after undergrad, I realized, hey, like, there's a there's a gap. There's a gap in information between the science community, specifically the ocean science community, and the general public. I grew up in Miami, and so I was constantly at the beach in the ocean. I was certified as a scuba diver at 17. And I just knew that I wanted to spend as much time as possible in the ocean. But I also wanted people around me, my family, my community to truly fall in love with the ocean like I fell in love with the ocean because it's such an important, critical place for all humans on Earth. But Danny, is it really true that with scuba diving, all of the instructions that you have to follow so that you don't die rather than that you have fun? Is that true? Well, it's semi-true, yes. It it is a dangerous activity. (laughs) And you can, like... (laughs) Semi-true. No, it's very true. You need to... Also, we shouldn't be surprised that as a resident of Miami, Uh people there have a a first, you know, a front row seat in the behavior of the ocean. Yes. Right? I mean, not only with hurricanes, but you look at a map of the future uh, 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 sea level rise, Mm. and Florida's gone. Yeah. It's just gone. Gone. Underwater. So is that part of the is that part of the baptism that you experienced growing up? Yeah. Excuse the excuse the term. (laughs) The baptism. Oh yeah, I guess Uh, so. Baptism is water. It doesn't involve water. As as we as we talk about the submersion of all of Florida (laughs) (laughs) underwater. Oh my god. Tell us about your baptism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, to be honest, when I was younger in high school, I didn't know as much as I know of as we know now about climate change and the, the impacts of that. And so, but I knew that things were not quite right. I looked at different areas like mangrove forests, the seagrass beds, places where I loved to explore as a kid, and I saw them changing before my eyes. Also, beach erosion happening around and different beaches that I loved to visit. So it became evident pretty quickly that I was like, okay, we've got some issues here and we need to start spreading the word about what's going on out there because with the ocean, it's out of mind and out of sight for so many people, even people who live right there on the beach and they don't recognize that under those waves, there's a whole other universe. Uh, I, I think of it as a universe, it's inner space that we still have so much Careful how you about. use that word on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I like that term, whatever. <laughs> you need permission to use that word in that way. Uh, could you tell us, uh, this, this is something I learned, I was like a full-grown adult. And I said, what, is that what they're called? These trees that grow at the intersection of land and waterways? Mangroves. They're called mangroves? Yes. Why? What does that even mean? And, and why so sexist? <sighs> you know, I, that's a great question. I've never even thought about that, but I have no idea why they gain, they gain the name mangroves. But 
All I know is okay. that they play an essential role in, in places like Florida and across the entire world around the tropical areas and regions because they serve as a buffer. So whenever hurricanes come in, it's protecting the land. It's also a nursery ground for so many different marine species, including sharks and reef fishes. Oh, and it's where right. the babies grow up and they're able to swim out to the reef after they've grown grown up. And so ah. we need it desperately. And, and a lot of times we see in developed coastal areas where people want to build huge condos and hotels, we're seeing that they'll cut down the mangroves. They'll cut down the, the mangroves, yeah, because right. it's blocking right. the beach. In fact, Miami Beach, the beach that I grew up going to, is not a real natural beach. It's actually right. filled in with sand every eight years and re-nourished. And it was formerly in the 19, early 1900s, it was a mangrove forest uh, along the coast, but it was removed to create the beach. Wow. Okay, so Chuck, I think mangrove should be a new haircut at the barbershop. You know? <laughs> mangrove. <laughs> the mangrove. The mangrove going here. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> That's a man groom. That's a man well, man groom. Groom, groom me with the man grove. Uh, you also you also have a lifestyle brand. Who does this? You have a lifestyle brand called the Mocha Mermaid. So what's up with that? What? Oh totally. well, yeah. I know, right? Wait, right? you're a marine biologist and a black mermaid. What? That's me. That's what? me in a nutshell. Yep. Yo, that is dope. That's totally dope. That's okay. Dope. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Well, I've always been fascinated by the idea of being half fish or half marine mammal and half human. And you know, no, as a that's kid, called a, that's called mentally disturbed. By no, the way. I don't Just think it is. Clear. I don't think it is. I the reason is that I've always wanted to be able to spend as much time as possible underwater. And being a mermaid or looking into that mythology, that's that's been seen throughout history, human history. Every culture around the world has had some type of ocean or water goddess deity, whatever, in their mythology. And I think there's something to that. I love the story behind it. Um, it began in Africa with like Mami Wata and different ideas in the religious practices that talked about these half water beings. Anyway, long story short, I like the idea of being someone who's connected to the ocean, who's constantly in the water. And I wanted to create a space for uh, community building and to find other people that look like me that have melanated skin who also love the ocean because we've been so underrepresented in this space uh, throughout history. And, and now it's time, I think, for us to reconnect ourselves to water because I believe that water is a healing element. It's something that, you know, whenever I get in the water, I immediately feel at peace, at rest, and I feel rejuvenated afterward. And I want other people to experience that, especially people of color. Yeah. Mm. Let's get back to the subject of why we have her on the show. And that's to talk about science pioneers, because you've written a book on science pioneers. And uh, we, you told us offline that you began this during COVID and it got mm -hmm. published uh, just a few months ago at the end of 2021. So you, I'm glad you did something productive during COVID, which is more than <laughs> most people can say. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Instead hey, of just yes. binging on Rick and Morty, you actually wrote something. Right. So this is great. Now, did you, but, but did you make sourdough? I mean, because if you didn't. That was another one. That was another I'm one. I'm not a baker. Yeah. I really okay. don't bake that much, so no. <laughs> so, so, so who do you want to talk about first in, in, that you've written about? Well, I'd like to start with Vera Rubin. Oh, I know Vera Rubin. Sure well, I mean, she passed, course. but yeah, we, we, we're, she, that's my field. Yeah. Bring her on. Yes. Astronomy. Yes. yes. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, she was born in 1928, and, you know, she did some pretty incredible things. She helps prove the existence of dark matter. She also used calculations to show that galaxies contain 10 times more dark matter than ordinary matter. And, you know, it's really considered one of the biggest and most important discoveries in astronomy. Wow. All in, all in. So, Danny, if I could add that 
the implications of her discovery is that everything you see and know and love in a galaxy, the stars, the gas clouds, even the black holes and planets and moons and, 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 and comets, all of that is froth on an ocean. Maybe you'll like this analogy, Danny. I'm <laughs> I think I will. The ocean. May I, yes. may I you said universe before. I'm going to use ocean now, may I? Okay. Sure, of course. <laughs> if, if actual matter is a small fraction of the total gravity in a galaxy, then everything we know and love is just froth on a wave that wow. we cannot see. That's a beautiful analogy. Wow. We can detect it you know, gravitationally, but we don't know what's causing it. So it's really dark gravity. Hmm. And and so that 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 discovery lives with us to this day and it remains an unsolved mystery. And she was in the middle of it. So uh, I I heard tell that because she was sort of, you know, born in 1928 and in a scientific field, uh, certainly dominated by men, the um, to get access to telescopes requires, uh, we have to apply and then they have to sort of, Someone in charge has to allow it. And you have stories about her trying to just use the same damn telescope everybody else was using. So tell us about that. Sure. Well, in 1965, she joined the Carnegie Institution for Science, and that was the very first time that a woman was allowed to use the Hale Telescope at the Palomar Observatory. And this was a major step because before that, women weren't allowed to do that. She, you know, she went. But that's the biggest telescope in the world at the time. It, I mean, my yes, gosh. yes. Yeah. Mm. How dare her want to use the biggest telescope in the world? And I'm <laughs> sure she, she know was, her place. Yeah, <laughs> right. tell me about it. Well, I, right, I, I hope she said, uh, you know, uh, clearly you guys are overcompensating for something. <laughs> with this giant telescope. Right. right. Okay, go ahead. I feel that. Go for it. I feel that. Well, she had to work really hard to get to that point. Honestly, her career before even getting to that position um, was, a, was a journey. At first, you know, she wanted to do her degree in astronomy, her Bachelor of Science degree. Most schools wouldn't accept her. Finally, she got into an all-girls school, Vassar College, and she graduated. She was the only one from her class who graduated with a degree in astronomy. And then she went to Cornell. And then most, again, most other universities wouldn't accept her into their program because she was a woman. And then finally, Cornell let her, you know, join the crew. And then at age 23, she started pursuing her PhD, and she even had her first child while pursuing her PhD. You know, that's badass right there, you know. So badass, right? <laughs> let, me, let me pop out a kid while I'm discovering the universe. Yeah, know? try that, Einstein. Correct. Try that. <laughs> exactly. And in fact, she ended up having four children successfully, you know, completing her PhD and all this research and this all these discoveries happening within her career alongside her husband, you know, and they, they just lived an amazing life. And it turns out that all four of her children ended up pursuing PhDs in STEM fields as well. Wow. And so what's this about? Bathrooms at the observatory. I heard I heard rumors about this, but you got the untold story. What what is that? So the story about the bathroom issue with Vera was that there were no female bathrooms in the observatory. So what she ended up doing was taking a piece of paper and placed it right over the men's uh, you know symbol and made her own bathroom. And that I think was very significant in just the symbolism of it, where she made her place, she paved her own way, and made sure that she had what she needed to pursue her dreams. Wow. So let me. I can ask you something. So, to get for her to get to where she was required some kind of tenacity. All right, it's oh. it's not putting up with status quo, but not uh, not being bitter about it necessarily. She just said, "I'm doing this. Try to stop me." Right? And exactly. And I, I worry that some sometimes people today. They, if it's a force operating against them, and then they just kind of lose, 
they lose it, right? And then and they and then they recede rather than continue to push to change the world because it is not easy to change the world. There's always somebody who wants to prevent it. So uh, this seems like a, a, a character trait that was very important for her to succeed. Definitely. Tenacity is definitely the word that I would use to describe Vera because she made a way when there was no way and figured out other alternatives for her to get to where she wanted to go. And I just love that about her. And again, she did it while raising a family, while doing everything that, you know, women, quote unquote, are traditionally known to do while being a badass astronomer. Right. And in my field, we, you know, we recognize, I mean, we do recognize discoveries, basically, you know, no matter who it is. And there's some lapses that occasionally need correction, of course, but um, I mean, today, uh, Vera Rubin has a telescope named after her. Yes. But did you get to wow. put that in? Because that happened only recently. <laughs> no. Did, did, did that get it into your book? It didn't make it in the book, but I did mention it. Oh, my God, because it just happened. It just happened, Oh, I you wish. need like an addendum. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. cur- uh, so the c- current most powerful telescope in the world is named the Vera Rubin Telescope. And it's That's this, it's this humongous telescope. It has the largest digital camera ever built. Okay, it's the size of a human being, like the detector surface. Wow. All right, and and you just walk into this camera, and it's designed to take snapshots of the sky continually, which you can then stitch together and basically make a movie of the night sky. And the value of this is, just think about it, just think about this. What have we been doing the whole, you know, ever since we've had telescopes? Let's get one image in this one moment that I happen to be looking. But suppose something happens an hour after you shut off the telescope, or you're in the bathroom, or suppose something happened. Do you, do you miss that? Or suppose something happens only in 24-hour increments. And so you see it, and you think it's natural, but it's only doing something for you in this 24-hour increment, and you're missing all wow. the rest of the time. You, you can be biased by how the data has been obtained. So this telescope is it's called the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, and that was too many syllables. I'm glad we renamed it, <laughs> no matter who we renamed it to, but got to be renamed for Vera Rubin. Nice. And it's the Rubin Telescope. And she's and when you're the name of a famous telescope, every discovery that comes out of it, your name is attached to it. Your name goes on to it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well deserved. Yeah. Well, that's a... That's a- Fitting legacy, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Especially because yeah. she never received a Nobel Prize, even though many of her colleagues did uh, throughout her career. Um, oh, yeah, no. it's, it's wild. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned it, that she discovered dark matter in galaxies. Yes. Uh, today, oh, no. that, that would have clearly won a Nobel Prize. Um, it, it, but it was uh, sort of overlooked at the time by the Nobel Committee. And there are other Nobel Prizes that had gone to astronomers in the day. Yes. Um, one of them went to the discovery of pulsars, to the man in charge of a project who didn't actually make the discovery. A woman did. Her name is Jocelyn Bell. Wow. So Jocelyn Gosh. Bell is another one of these people who, who doesn't get now you the, gotta You got to make another book and put exactly. her on. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I think we should do one, another yeah. one, part two. <laughs> hey, Danny, what are you doing on this show? Get, get the hell back to work. <laughs> keep oh. oh, my gosh. I have so much respect for authors after writing my first book. It, it's Oh, it's my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so, so that Nobel Prize for the discovery of pulsars uh, was for a discovery in the late 1960s. Uh, her discovery of dark matter was in the early 1970s. So it was around the same time. But dark wow. matter is still the longest unsolved problem in the universe. Wow. And we still don't know what's doing it. And she was in the middle of it. And we can she thank totally Vera there. for helping us pave the way. Love yes, it. yes. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> all right, all right. So, 
you did good by including her in your book. When we come back, can you tell us more people in your book? Absolutely. And I assume they're not all from astrophysics, so I no. want to learn about other topics too. Yeah, all over. Excellent. Uh, we've got Danny Washington, who's recently written about pioneers in science. Uh, this is on Star Talk. We'll learn more about it in the next segment. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Chris Cohen from Haworth, New Jersey, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Please enjoy this episode of Star Talk Radio with your and my favorite personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk. We're talking about scientific pioneers over the last century. And I got someone who wrote a book on them, Danny Washington. Hey. And, and Danny, you you did this. I mean, your background is in marine science, but you took on this project because you felt that there were some scientists who needed some attention, and somebody's got to do it. Absolutely. Somebody. And so we, we just came off of a segment talking about a pioneer in my field, Vera Rubin. Um, but you also... Uh, Tell me some more. You have someone from the field of medicine? Yes. Yeah, who, who do you have there? Alice Ball. Alice Ball is a chemist. She was born in 1892, and she actually developed the first cure for leprosy, or also known as Hansen's disease, back at oh. the age of 23 years old. <laughs> okay, that's great. But if, if, if she's born in 1897 and discovered a cure for leprosy, 
That's too late for everybody in the Bible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, way too late. Way well, too okay. late. They had, they, and they had Jesus. Well, they had it's Jesus. Okay. Okay. It's okay. It's true. They had Jesus. No All right. Je- Jesus was basically the uh, oh. the whole entire health insurance policy. Yep. For everybody. Of the entire, bi- of the entire biblical period. You know what I mean? Oh. It's just like some. Oh my God, my skin is falling off. Put some Jesus on that. Okay. Ah, my leg. I, gotta, I, I can't got a tube walk. of Jesus. Help me I can't Jesus. walk. Put some yeah. Jesus on that. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, I can't see. Oh, come on. Let's, here you go. Put some Jesus on that. Put some Jesus on that. We good now. You good. You good? You good? You can see? You can walk? You can see. All right? <laughs> All right, so she was born in 1892? Yeah, 1892 in Washington State. And she did State. this when she was 23. Yes. Man, that's, man. Yeah, that's that's badass right so there. Badass. So tell me about leprosy. I mean, I only you know it sounds like a like like we were saying like a biblical disease, but what what actually happens? Does anyone get it anymore? Well, people do get it, but they're they're using more modern technology to help cure it. Um, so they don't use what Alice Ball originally created. They have new pharmaceutical products that are helping. But her initial discovery of this specialized treatment really helped those suffering. Uh, not to have to be put away into like a camp and like taken away from society. Now they can actually, they were able to function. And what I loved about it is that, you know, she did it through her own curiosity and figured out after researching kava root, she was at the University of Hawaii at the time, she was playing with the kava root and then it moved on to this thing, a tree called the chalmugra tree, which is in Hawaii. And then she distilled it down and then figured out if I inject this into the skin of someone suffering from leprosy, it'll actually heal the sores that end up coming up. Wait, 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 stop. Stop, stop, stop. Who, do, who does this? Exactly. <laughs> There's a tree. Let me extract this root, boil it down. Do you want to be a test subject? How does she, where does the thinking come from? And who to, lets you do that? And who lets you do that? <laughs> you know? Well, so if I my just, arm's falling off, you inject anything into me. Right. My arm's no, going to fall off. Okay? You know what? You got a point there. There you, know? you go. Right, right. And, and so they put lepers in, for a long while, they put lepers in leper colonies, which right. sounds really. It's depressing. I, mean, I don't know what else you do in the day, but yeah. still. Yeah. Yeah, you know you don't you don't want to have to do that going forward. No, and and the island of Molokai in Hawaii is where there was a specific peninsula where this colony existed, and it was sad because people would be taken away from their families and just living right. you know day to day, and it was just an awful existence. And so her pursuing this cure was world changing because so many people around the world suffered from this contagious bacterial disease. Right. Was she finally recognized for this work? Well, you know what ended up happening was she passed away at the age of 24, tragically. What? Oh, my goodness. What? Yeah. She, she just she just discovered the damn and thing. I, and I'm going to tell you, if you tell me she died of leprosy, I'm... Oh. <laughs> No, thank you. Oh, thank God. Thank God. No, no, no. Go ahead. She apparently accidentally inhaled chlorine gas in the lab. So it was a lab accident that ended up happening. Um, And her advisor had to fight another of one of his colleagues who published a paper claiming that her cure was his method, the Dean method. And it wasn't until later in the the 20th century that a librarian at the University of Hawaii saw that there was one Chalmugra tree on the campus. And she did some research, a little digging, figured out that Alice was the one who did all of this. And then finally, many years later, she got some recognition. The lieutenant governor of Hawaii declared February 29th Alice Ball Day in 2000. Wow. Cool. Pretty, pretty well. Cool. So, wait, wait. So, is that, so that can't be every year then? Oh, oh yeah, because it's there, a leap year. Not every year has Correct. a February 29th. Which is kind of random. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they would choose that day. I don't know if it was her. Yeah, that's so, that's so, somebody should have checked out the calendar right. on that one, because I would have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so every four years we'll celebrate. We'll celebrate Alice. <laughs> Alice. Yes. Alice. She's like the World right. Cup of scientists. That's cool. Okay, every four, four years. years. There we go. Right. I like it might that. make it even more special. <laughs> <laughs> True that. So, Danny, I've got a, a geeky calendar thing because that's one of my um, side avocations is thinking about calendars yes. and, and whose calendar is accurate and who's. So, uh, in the year 2100, that would normally be a leap year, but in the current calendar rules, it's not. Hmm. So, really? Um, it, yeah, we'll not have a February 29th. So, we'll go eight years without getting to celebrate her contribution. So so we should just go back to Lieutenant Governor of, of Hawaii. And I agree. That. Change a day. Make it. Yeah, if you, you go there, tell him to call me. <laughs> we'll straighten that whatever, out. Whatever <laughs> happened to the Dean character, who sounds like such a dick? Uh, I don't know. I didn't do much research about, about him. The, okay. one, of, one of the other uh, doctors who stole her, her cure oh, and yes, claimed yes, that okay. it was his discovery, and it really was not. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. was not. Okay, mm. well, that's all we need to know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Danny, who else do you have? Well, another scientist that I absolutely adore. Uh, she's a botanist born in India named Janaki Amal. So she's known as India's finest plant scientist, and she pioneered in the field of cytogenetics, and she even has two plants named after her. Wait, wait, what is cyto? Don't go, just go past that word and not explain it. <laughs> Act okay. like we all know what the hell you're talking about. Listen, listen. Cytogenetics, what, what is that? Cytogenetics. Well, you hear the word genetics in there, so it has to do with the study of chromosomes, but it also has to do with the role of chromosomes in heredity and things and traits that are passed down from different living organisms. So in her case, she was studying heredity within plants, which is oh. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and she even developed a new strain, a new type of sugarcane in India that allowed more people, you know, to create more uh, and, sugar products. And when was she doing this now? Lord, this was back in, she was born in 1897, so it was wow. early 1900s. Yes. So she's a 20th century yeah. scientist. Okay. Yes. And that's, yes. that's pretty, um, I'll say, aggressive um, because, <laughs> you know, right now it's a shame. If she were alive today, she would have like, the benefit of these supercomputers that we use now to map these things, she would probably be onto some super cool discoveries when you think oh, about yeah. it. She would be a rock mm -hmm. star yeah, definitely. Like, definitely. with all the tech definitely. we have now. Yeah, yeah, and right, I, right. it's incredible what she did with what she had. And, you know, she grew up in India. She had 19 siblings. Okay. Uh, so, let me ask, what's this I heard that she stopped a dam? I don't even, I don't even know what that means, but I heard this yeah. said of her. Well, one of the most notable things she did in her career was she helped stop a hydroelectric dam um, and the Kuntipuza River, which is in her region where she grew up, because they were going to flood this area that was home to over a 1,000 endemic plants that were found nowhere else in the world. And so she demonstrated wow. her science and her activism just to serve environmental conservation, which is so important and something that we're still dealing with to this day, you know, trying to protect areas of this planet that are crucial for our health and, and stability in the future. Or to even think that way, because any most people, yeah, damn, will bring electricity. You know, you're not even thinking about the biodiversity of what you will end up flooding to make that happen. So, so for her exactly. to be on that page, that's, that's very, that's brave and Early. But at least we'll have electricity that will allow us to see how badly we <laughs> effed up. <laughs> there it goes. We yep, can turn, we can the, turn light the light on, on and see, see how, how badly we screwed things up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Take a look at that, sir. So, <laughs> Chuck, that reminds me of a Gary Larson comic where there's this, there's this man and his son, and they just saw down this big, huge tree, and the tree... And you see the, the the stump of the tree. And it says, uh, look, son, it says something like, this tree ring was when it survived 
a hurricane. And this other one was when it survived. <laughs> it just oh, that's hilarious. A, a wildfire. <laughs> yeah. To, to yeah. all the things that it survived. That the survived. <laughs> and that's yep. really good. Yep. And then yeah, you just cut really, it down. You just, just like cut that. it down. You just that's cut it down. I, I dig it. Makes I dig. no sense. Danny, I want on my business card to say, I've stopped a dam. That's just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? A whole dam. A whole, a whole dam. dam. She, she spoke up for nature when nature didn't have a voice in our human experience, right? And what I love about her is also she talked about how like the biosphere in a lot of ways will go on right. with or without us. And I think that's something that's important for all of us to recognize. Maybe the environment will look different after we've altered it with our own selfish ways, but it's going to go on. Like we're just right. going to wipe ourselves out if we continue on this path exactly. of destruction. Um, but nature will come back. Yeah, one day you'll see meerkats living in our condos. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, all all, pop, all popping their heads yeah. out the windows. Just. <laughs> well, you get meerkats. Of all the animals, meerkats. Okay. I yeah, that's no a random idea. choice. That's somebody's seen the Lion King too many times right there. <laughs> Got me. <Adam. laughs> have you ever watched Meerkat Manor? That's like an awesome show. It's I very not, dramatic. But now I'm oh, going to yeah. check it out because any, if you say check, check it out, out, I should check it out. Out. A, a meerkats, if they're anything, they're curious, right? Hey, what's that? Yeah. Did Very you see that? Curious. Oh my gosh, what's that? Uh-huh. Like, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so what is phytogeography? I see that in my notes here. Well, it's really just a mapping of where plants are located. And so she also did that with that area and helped establish the Silent Valley National Park in Kerala, India, in wow. that same area. Man. So the place where they were going to flood, she made it into, and helped make it into that's, a national park, which is incredible. So let me just ask this about this. Well, Neil, you did it on on Cosmos, but for either one of you, there was this uh, episode that you talked about, this kind of Noah's Ark for seeds, where they take all the seeds from all over the world and put them someplace where they'd be safe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Noah's Ark is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wanted live animals, not just seeds. <laughs> right. Right, so it's kind of a broke-ass Noah's Ark. <laughs> so, Danny, what is in Norway? So there's a seed bank that exists there where there are hundreds of thousands of seeds that we currently have on the planet being stored in case of an apocalypse. So that's basically, if an asteroid hits, do we have something to work with? And can we kind of replant the future? If it hits someplace other than Norway. Other than Norway, <laughs> correct. Right. That part is very important. <laughs> well, it is. It's like the library in Alexandria. Let's put all the books in one library where they're safe. The library burns down, now you got nothing. Nothing. Right. So maybe we need two seed banks at antipodal sides of the earth. That what would make sense. That? I like that, that idea. Yeah. yeah. As long as you keep them away from Vladimir Putin, we're going to be fine. It's only going to be fine. Unless we had to just put it there or put it next to him or put him in put it in Russia so that we know for sure nothing would happen. I don't know. Just okay, saying. so you have the seeds, but you need think so is a seed all you need to just restart no, civilization? there is so much more. We live in this beautiful biosphere that has so many different moving parts. And I mean, just with plants alone, especially crop plants that we use for food, we need bees. We need pollinators, butterflies to help spread the pollen and actually continue the cycle. So we, we've got a lot of work to do and it, it can't just depend on us, merely on the seeds. Well, I saw an episode of Black Mirror where they had a bee drone. Yes. That, oh, I didn't see that episode. Uh, oh, that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It, and because that the show is called is Black Mirror, um, things don't end well. <laughs> but but the idea was great. You know, you're running out of bees. Just invent a new kind of bee right. bee drone, and yeah. then there you have it. By there the way, uh, there's a there's a sequel coming out uh, where every show ends happily. It's called White Privilege Mirror. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Black Mirror, check. <laughs> 
<laughs> Here's your seat at the table, sir. There you go. Everything turns out great for you. <laughs> Everything's got to be about being black with oh, Chuck. Come Chuck on. Is, it's only because I, I live in America. That's all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, more from Danny Washington. We learn all more about her and uh, who she's written about in her book on scientific pioneers on Star Talk. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. We're back. Star Talk. we got a really fun episode going here with Danny Washington, who's a... An ocean, uh, Danny. What what shall we call you if we gave you a title? If you gave marine me a title, biologist. I have my marine yeah. biology degree, um, but I'm You're not a, a marine marine biologist. Marine biologist. researcher. Gotcha. And, yeah. and you also have a a a, a lifestyle moniker, mm-hmm. the Mocha Mermaid. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. That's me. That, that to put both of those on your business card. That right. you know, that's all you need right there. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and, Every time. And how do we find you on social media? What are your What are your biggest platforms there? Oh, my personal platforms, you can find me at Danny Washington on all Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And Danny with it. an I. Yes, Danny Washington. Thank you for clarifying. Yep, Danny with an I, two N's, and Washington spelled like the state. Oh, oh D, not two N's in Washington, but two N's in Danny. Two N's in Danny, exactly. Yes, okay. So <laughs> Danny Washington. Washington would be even better. Washington. Washington. So this is for, and that is your handle for which platforms? All platforms. So you can find me okay. there. You can also follow my organization, Big Blue and You. It's a nonprofit out of Miami where I'm from. And we teach young people about the ocean through art and science combined. And Fantastic. we love it. It's called it's Big Blue and You on all platforms as well. Wait, wait, and your and your podcast, which also reaches for younger audiences. You're trying to you're I know what it is. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I yep. figured this out. I, yep. what, I know what you She's going to be queen of the universe right. because she's training this whole next generation of people. That's how and you then, do it. And then they will just follow her every command. Yeah. And then they, they take over the world and they and they get and they render they get rid of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Admit it here on Star Talk, Danny. There this it is, is your plan. You your master plan. We found out you your world domination plan, Danny. <laughs> we, caught, we caught you. We caught you. We know what it we, is now. Listen, we, we I gave exposed. up on adults a long time ago. Okay, yeah. kids are uh, there. At, you go. Yeah. They they know what's up. I That's know this true. much. You've inspired me. Uh, you are the uh, Mocha Mermaid. I am going to now be the Coco Comedian. Coco Comedian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 You're hilarious. Um, so, so I, we got time for like one more person. Is there someone else who's like special to you? Oh that, my that gosh. Profiled in this book. Yes, my favorite. Absolutely. And Chuck, favorite. I have to explain to Chuck. Chuck, when I say she profiled it, it's not a cop thing. You know that's right. where I was going, Neil. No, I know. Just I'm saying. I just have to clear you. I just got to preempt Chuck's. Yeah. Thing. Okay. So yeah. profiled in your book. Well, yes. Uh, who else you have? Dr. Sylvia Earle, who is my role model and oh, mentor and someone that I Hero. respect. He- she wrote. I know me she some wrote. Sylvia Earle. She's, she's a friend of Star Talk. She's been on yes. Yes. a couple of times, but many years ago. How's she doing? Oh my gosh, tell me she's about wonderful. Her. Tell me what I don't know about her. Totally, Just keep going. Totally. Bring it. Bring well, it on. you know, she, I met her when I was 17 years old in Florida. I was at this National Geographic uh, sleepover event at a museum. So random. But she happened to come because she's a resident um, explorer. And that was the first time we interacted in person. Wait, just to be clear, Nachio has a title called Resident Explorer. Correct, right? yes. So that's a great title to have, so keep going. It really is. I mean, that was kind of like the, the cherry on top of her career because she did so much in her you know, younger years as well as now. I mean, she travels more than 200 days out of the year to give talks Ouch. and film a Netflix mm-hmm. show. Like, she's done all these different things. Um, but she was born in 1935 in Jersey, and then she moved to Florida when she was 12 with her family, and that's where her love for the ocean began. She's used to explore the coast and like dig through seaweed on the beach. We call it a rack line and look for little invertebrates and things that were living in the seaweed. <laughs> Would you do that, Chuck? Would you have joined Sylvia doing that? Uh, I don't like sand, Danny. I'm <laughs> no sorry. sand? Oh, no. I, I, yeah, Chuck, it, is, Chuck is still in New Jersey at this moment. He just I never left New Jersey. Jersey. Oh, right so, now. But Chuck, imagine what kind of a great scientist you could have been had you moved from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> if only. If only you had left. If only. If, <laughs> if only. Yeah. Again, that reminds me of the Gary Larson comic where uh, Jimi Hendrix is like ready to walk into an accordion store and it's just, and the store happens, happens to be closed but the guitar store next door is open, so then he goes into the guitar store. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And it's titled Disaster Averted. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Okay, so oh I didn't know. God. So she moved to Florida and got ocean influence just the way you were. This exactly. is a fascinating commonality. Yes. So tell me wow. more. So she continued that to follow that passion, and then she ended up going to Duke University uh, for her master's in psychology, where she studied algae. She collected over 20,000 algae samples, which I believe she it's donated. Vic- vicology? No, phycology, phi- like physics, phycology. Phycology. That's the first I've ever heard that word. P-H-Y-C-O-L-O-G-Y? That's it. Is that mm. for phylum or something? Like what? Or what is Phyto? It? Phyto. Yeah, I believe it's from phyto. phyto, but it's the study of, of, of 
algae and seaweeds yeah. in the ocean. Algae, so okay. So awesome. And algaeology never doesn't run off the tongue. So no, you gotta, not quite. Okay. <laughs> algaeology. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry, I interrupted. No worries. So yeah, she she continued with that path. I think she donated her samples, I believe, to the Smithsonian, um, to the Museum of Natural History, uh, that should be still there today. And then she became the first woman appointed as the chief scientist at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the government agency who handles all things ocean and atmosphere. Wow. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Yeah, so she's wow. a badass. So, so she spends time, is she an underwater person or above water taking samples? Well, we know her as the, her deepness. That's literally her title because she's logged thousands of hours underwater. Um, in right. the 1960s, she led a team of, of all women, aquanauts, living underwater for two weeks, and that was the first time that ever happened. And it was just them underwater living for 14 days, doing research, not coming up to the surface. It was all self-contained. And she also holds the world record for the deepest untethered dive in history. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how do you come, if went, you're not tethered, how do you like come back up? Well, she was in this special dive suit called a gym suit, and it was all, again, self-contained, and she operated it herself. I have a gym suit. I could do that. You could do that, I, too? If, if it's, Not G-Y-M. I have, a, I have a gym suit. J-I-M. J-I-M, sorry. Sorry. Yes, And so she womaned it. I'm not going to say manned it, but she womaned it herself and went down 1,200 feet. To be more specific, 1,250 feet on her own. Wow. Yep. Jeez. In the Pacific wild. Ocean. Oh, by the way, uh, NASA has addressed this issue of is it a manned crew? So they just they just call it a crewed vehicle. Crewed. C-R-E-W. Okay. Crewed yeah, vehicle. C- yeah. So okay. so she she crewed a a, a vessel or a, a um a, an outfit an down outfit, to the yeah. Yeah, so that's how NASA handles that. So you don't have to say woman day. There we go. She crewed um, it. If you want to be gender neutral, yeah, okay. sure. Sure. It's <laughs> a good mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. <laughs> but she's done so many incredible things in her her life, you know, so far and I see her on the road. I, before COVID, I was going to a lot of summits and events related to ocean conservation and she's usually always there. And I just love to hear her speak about her her passion. She always speaks from the heart, but then throws in her science and she's really become an icon in our space. For sure, um, and I just appreciate all the work that she's done to, to you know, not only for women in the space, but for everyone to recognize the importance of the ocean. Mm. Now we realize you like her, but has she accomplished anything? <laughs> Listen, she's accomplished so much. <laughs> oh, we know. Oh, we know. You should check out her Netflix documentary called Mission Blue. Cool. It's okay. really good. Okay, that's interesting because I think Disney had a, a ride called Mission mm. Space. So this is using that same concept that you are yeah. on a mission. And now the mission is not only discover about the ocean, but do something about it because we are uh, abusing it badly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so tell me about your conservation efforts and how they resonate with Sylvia's. Are you uh, carrying the torch that she first lit in this space? Well, I'd like say? to think that I am contributing to that. I know that there are a lot of other phenomenal female marine scientists out there and conservationists who are doing a lot of work. So we're we're in it together, you know. But um. But uh, Sylvia, how humble of you! Just go ahead and take take the credit. Listen. Just take the credit, Danny. You're killing it. You're killing it. It's okay. You already exposed that she's going to be everybody's overlord uh, very, very soon. Exactly. You know, the next generation will come up. So, right. so what do you what do you see as the most pressing issue right now when it comes to the care for our oceans? 
What what is is it is it microplastics? Is it the warming of the ocean itself? The acidification? Is wow. it okay, uh, Chuck? You know, is it is it, is it our you know? Our, my listen, boy Chuck listen, is just listen, showing listen, off. You already you took no, the words out of my mouth. He just that he knows the vocabulary. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I never get serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love you, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. What, what so, do you, yeah, so how, how do we prioritize? Well, this it's again as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I talked about the fact that the ocean is out of sight and out of mind for many, many people around the world. Um, but the ocean provides every other breath. The oxygen that's in every other breath, every second breath, comes from the ocean. Um, and it also helps stabilize our climate on this planet. And so what to answer your question, Chuck, I think the most pressing issue with the ocean is the warming of the ocean and the acidification. So two, really, kind of in tandem. Uh, because you know, with without the oceans being in balance and, and stabilizing our climate, like we're going to experience some extreme weather, which we already have been, right? We've seen it all over the world. But also the fact that it's acidifying where there's too much carbon dioxide going in the ocean, it's messing up the balance, the chemical balance of the ocean, which causes things that build their shells underwater like crabs, shrimp, but also coral reefs. They use the calcium carbonate out of the water to create, literally create their bodies. They can't do that when the water is acidic. And so that's one impact. Um, but we can we can actually change it. And that's what I love about the ocean so much. It is extremely resilient. And if we give it time and space, it can bounce back in certain ways. It may not look the same as it looked maybe 20, 50, 100 years ago. We see that now. But I think the ocean can come back. And one of the solutions that I really lean on is blue carbon and looking at how we can establish more marine plants in the water that actually absorb that carbon dioxide. So I'm talking about kelp. I'm talking about mangroves. I'm also talking about seagrass beds. These are uh, ecosystems that absorb carbon dioxide out of the water and the atmosphere 50 times more effectively than trees on land. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's the equivalent of... of like doubling forestry yes. efforts, but you're doing it in the in the ocean itself. Yes. And plus the ocean is way bigger. There's a much, bigger tapestry yeah. on which to execute this. Much, right? much bigger, yeah. So that could so what you're not to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is if we cultivated an entire undersea forestry with whatever I use forestry loosely there, because they do speak of kelp forests right, though, yeah, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. We call them yeah. sea trees. <laughs> okay, excellent. So if we develop an entire underwater uh, plant ecosystem, as it takes carbon dioxide out of the water, doesn't the ocean, in response, take carbon dioxide yes, out of the air? Yes, and that's what it's been doing for forever, right? right? That's that's why... Right, because it tries to always stay in equilibrium. If there's a little less in one place, it, it, it donates exactly. it back in. So this can help uh, fix the world that... Chuck and I destroyed yeah. that you and your your future mm -hmm. following, uh, after you've rendered the rest of us extinct, <laughs> can have a world that you, <laughs> that you exactly embrace. a livable world. It just dawned on me what Neil just said, which of course is a, a clear path towards decarbonization um, and an effective one. But the only motivation that could really accelerate that would be a commercial use for the byproduct. Mm. And so do you know of any, is there any kind of seaweed-based or kelp-based <laughs> kind of product line that we could, and not just for your skin or something, right. you know, something right, that has... Chuck, I got this. I, I, I'm, I'm done with kale, you know. I, I'm ready for the next thing. Right. And maybe it's kelp. It's kelp. Right? It is kelp, yes. It's so kelp. extremely Oh, it is. Nutritious. Well, I'm just making that up. Oh, Wait, okay, it's kelp nutritious? 
It is. Okay, look, look. When we talk about Are you the, saying like, kelp oh, is the new kale? It is the new kale. <laughs> it needs to be the new kale. <laughs> but Chuck, they're just going down the alphabet, you know? <laughs> yes, oh, it's delicious. And actually, a few years ago, I remember filming a segment on one of the TV shows I hosted called Nature Knows Best, where we were looking at biomimicry. I interviewed a kelp farmer in Connecticut who was formerly a fisherman and was taking things out and now began growing and doing this 3D vertical farming model where he had mussels and clams and then he grew seaweed at the top. And so the kelp would grow toward the surface. And it only took a small area of the water. And he was ma- that was his main subsidence, right? And people in New York wow. City were ordering from him because they were making kelp pasta and all kinds of really cool dishes with kelp. Wow. It tastes delicious. This is real. This it's is real. Uh, wait, so what is the show? I, you know, excuse me, one of your shows you hosted. Uh, yeah. I can't keep up with them. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Which, which show was that so we can find it? Sure. It's called Exploration Nature Knows Best. And it was back in, we filmed in 2016 to 2018. And I interviewed tons of different people who were in biomimicry, in the space of biomimicry. Cool. And, and where, where do we find that? You can find it on Amazon Prime. It used to air on Saturday mornings on Fox Networks around the country. Oh, it's a series. It's a series. It's a series, yeah. There's 27 episodes. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. Yes. Okay, cool. So you're a host of that. Okay. I am, yes. Wonderful. And I've hosted several different productions. Just while we're there, what precisely is biomimicry? Biomimicry is a study of how we can take notes from nature and apply them to modern technology and design. And so there are inventors and scientists and engineers who are all doing that right now around the world where they're looking at nature and looking at all the wonderful answers that have been solved, you know, the problems that have been solved within nature by nature. Why aren't we taking notes? And why aren't we mimicking what nature is already doing? We did it with flight. So. Exactly. <laughs> we did it with flight. So, so, <laughs> yes. So you're saying we're not clever enough to do this on our own. We got we need tips from nature, who has been at it for four billion years. Correct. That's what you're saying. Yes. Oh, I think nice. it would be it's due time that we start paying attention to the world around us, oh. right? Mm. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, well, I got to start landing this plane. Let me just ask you some final questions here. Uh, this is very cool. Thank and wait a minute, everyone you talked about was a woman. Ooh. Mm, what a surprise. What's, what's, what's the title of your book? <laughs> the title of my book is Bold Women in Science. And uh, Well, that explains it. There you go. Okay. <laughs> you, found them in the, you found them in the ether. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. Well, cool, cool. It's 15 different biographies of women throughout history, including women that are still with us today, including, I'm sure she's your friend, Mae Jemison is in there. I have her. Yeah, Mae. Yeah, I mean, way, Mae go way back. Of course, yeah. 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 Mae Jemison, a, a, a pioneering astronaut. Yeah. Phenomenal. A, a shuttle-era astronaut. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so it's a fun book for everyone. Um, it's it's meant technically for eight to twelve year olds, but listen, you could sit down and read this in an hour and like enjoy it and learn a little something new about some women who made some phenomenal contributions to science. Well, every one of us knows an eight to twelve year old somewhere yes. in our family or a friendship, and so and that's the age yeah. where oh my gosh, they're where they're not weirded out yet from middle school. Yep. And, and, and the hormones still, haven't kicked in. They have they hormones kicked in. aren't interfering. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish I okay, had this book so. when I was a kid, literally. And that's the reason, and the main reason that truly motivated me to write it was because I knew this is something that if I had had this at eight years old, like, ooh, it would be. Uh, the world domination you might have would be studied complete. oceanography. <laughs> yeah. You might have. World domination would no, be complete. No, but you already did. It would be so <laughs> complete. It would be complete faster. There, right. How about that? Faster. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, we would have been having this interview and you would be 18 years old instead of whatever you are today, right? It yes, would have been yes. uh, accelerated progress Absolutely. in the arc of life. 
very, very cool. So, yeah. uh, all right. So, Danny, thanks for sharing your time and your expertise and your your reflections on something that not enough people think about in this world. Uh, and uh, we need more of that. And uh, I hope this is not the last time you're, you're, you'll be on Star Talk because this topic comes up all the time. And plus, we've got to have a whole conversation on just just ocean conservation. Yes. Yeah. Unto itself. I'm game. Right? Th <laughs> this one we focus mostly on your book, but there's so much more out there. And what do we do with our plastic? That's, that's, yeah. that's we'll a We'll hold one. you entirely accountable for that. Mm -hmm. Okay? For the solutions there. Okay, you're All holding right. me accountable. All right, I'll bring some <laughs> solutions. I got it. Listen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got them. I've got them. That's and I work cool. with a lot of great people who do too. So, yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Danny. Great to have you. Chuck, always good to have you on Star Talk. Always a pleasure. Always. Neil deGrasse Tyson here. Your personal astrophysicist, as always, keep looking up. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.